Welcome to the Faith and Money Podcast, where listeners are invited to explore the captivating intersection of faith and finances. Leading the way are two remarkable hosts, Keith Conley, President of True Legacy Financial Planning, and Crystal Wampler, President of Can Ethics. Faith and Money explores a diverse array of financial topics, always placing Christ at the center of our discussions. From the basics of budgeting and investing, to the transformative power of charitable giving and the dynamics of entrepreneurship, we explore it all. Keith and Crystal invite guests who are thought leaders, financial experts, and individuals who have successfully integrated faith and finances, offering practical tools and inspiring stories to guide you on your own path. If you find the Faith and Money podcast valuable and entertaining, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. By subscribing, you'll never miss an episode, and your rating will help us reach more people, empowering them to align their faith and finances. Now, without any further delay, here's Keith and Crystal. Welcome to this episode of the Faith and Money podcast. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, You may recall a few weeks ago, our conversation with Brenda Jung, who was a seminary classmate of mine. She is the owner of the business called We Lead This, which is a mastermind for teens. If you missed that episode, please go back and and give that a great listen. There's a lot of things, you know, for our kids, but also for adults in the area of self-leadership. So what we're going to go ahead and do is air an episode uh, that Brenda and I uh, recorded uh, for her audience. And we're going to share that here with you today at the Faith and Money podcast. We are going to be discussing uh, the three questions that every biblical steward needs to answer. And so today it'll just be Brenda and I, unfortunately, Crystal uh, was not a part of that episode, but we hope that you will enjoy the valuable content here. So without any further ado, uh, please enjoy. Hi, Keith. Hey, Brenda, how's it going? So well, I hope your summer is going well. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. Oh, I'm, I'm really pleased to do so. This is going to be fun. Yeah. And this video is for both of our audiences, but I initiated this conversation with Keith after I appeared on his podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, because during that conversation, I realized how much our missions align. We both serve Christian families. We both work with the future of families. Me, in the area of working with teens, I help teens to strengthen their self-leadership skills so that they can find their God-given mission and that they and to help them become the person required to fulfill that mission. And then Keith works with families and helping parents and guardians and adults and churches and pastors to plan for their future financially and to um, prepare financial stewards in the family so that family funds can benefit generations to come. Is there anything you want to add to that, Keith? Uh, No, not really. Okay, I want to mention for um, those of you 
watching this video, families, that Keith is a certified financial planner, but not just that, he is a certified kingdom advisor. Keith, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that designation because that one is lesser known than financial planner. CFP. Yeah, well, a lot of us have heard of the certified financial planning designation of CFP that, you know, that's the hallmark, you know, highest designation in the financial services industry that mm-hmm. sets you apart as a fiduciary and, and the highest caliber uh, of ethics and, and uh, expertise in the financial service industry. Mm-hmm. But the certified kingdom advisor designation is an association of Christians who are trained to bring biblical wisdom with the advice they provide. Uh, we're not just advisors, we're financial advisors, we are attorneys and accountants and other financial service positions, uh, and we're trained to bring our expertise in the respective fields we serve in, whether it's tax, legal, or, or planning, but to implement that with biblical wisdom. I love that. Honestly, I didn't even know that this certification existed until we started talking, and I love it. I love it. So Keith is the president of his own company called True Legacy Financial Planning. And I am going to include your um, website in the description of this video and in um, everywhere this video will appear. And so today, Keith, I wanted to have a little conversation with you about three questions that every biblical steward must answer. And the reason I think this is so important for both of our audiences and, you know, how this how this uh, conversation will benefit both of our missions is because we both believe strongly in self-leadership and in stewardship and in self-leadership as stewardship, which was the title of um, the podcast that we did a couple of weeks ago. So I wanted to um, take that conversation to the next level. And and I wanted to put this conversation before parents and families, especially parents who have financial planning needs right now, like how am I going to pay for college, (laughs) which we will get into um, in this conversation. Um, But Keith, um, I had asked you to think about some foundational, basic, biblical principles about financial stewardship. And that's because, uh, you know, in the area of self-leadership development, a big part of it, an important part of self-leadership development is learning financial stewardship. So this word stewardship, I, I think we need to start there. What is stewardship? You know, while biblical stewardship is just the planning um, of God's resources mm. and how do you use them, grow them, uh, and then use them for God's purposes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're going to get more into that because the three questions that uh, Keith is going to uh, expound on is who owns money, how much is enough, and is the next steward being prepared? Who owns all the money? How much is enough? And is the next steward being prepared? So, um, Keith, what is your backstory? Why do you care so much about how we view money, 
how we spend money, how we save money, how we invest money, how we pass it on to the next generation. Yeah, well, I became a Christian in high school uh, and I grew up the son of a business owner. So I always heard my dad talking about, you know, different business decisions that he had to make uh, and managing employees uh, and making some hard decisions. Uh, and, and so that was kind of what I grew up with. But when I became a Christian in high school, I was drawn to studying God's word and 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 to pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, all of the first part of my education was going through, you know, Moody Bible Institute and Westminster Seminary in preparation for full-time pastoral ministry. Which is where we met at Westminster Seminary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Good old Escondido. Yeah. Uh, And after seminary, uh, my wife and I moved to Portland, Oregon, where I I worked in a church for a while. And, and, you know, through God's providence, we just figured out that pastoral ministry wasn't my calling. Mm. Um, You know, still very active in the church, still love the church, still do a lot of ministry. uh, But pastoral ministry just wasn't my shtick, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. You, You know, not everyone's called to be a pastor. Um, and it was not my calling. Uh, but I still had a very strong desire to serve the Lord. Uh-huh. And my wife and I moved back to Pennsylvania where I grew up. Uh, I eventually became involved uh, in employment through the state of Pennsylvania, working for what was at one time the nation's largest federal student loan servicer. At this time, I was still trying to figure out what is it the Lord's going to have me do? How can I serve him? And it was working at the student loan servicer that I started talking to people about money, mm-hmm. about how to fill out the free application for federal student aid, how to qualify for grant and scholarship money. Uh, and then I became a supervisor in default collections. So mm-hmm. I like to make the joke that I went from giving away free money to college to taking away people's money. So, you know, default collections is where people don't pay for, you know, 90 days or more. Uh, and then we start garnishing paychecks. So I went from giving out grant money from the state of Pennsylvania to Pennsylvania residents to taking 15% of people's paychecks to pay their student loans. Wow. So you can imagine the conversations I had as a supervisor. Uh, and I just had all these conversations with people who had no idea how to manage money. And I started thinking, well, you know, maybe this could be a way that I could serve the Lord. I I started reading about investments and personal finance, budgeting, uh, retirement. And there was there's a lot of material out there. I mean, mm-hmm. if you just look at podcasts or YouTube about investments, I mean, there's there's you know everything from real estate to Dave Ramsey and, and other stuff out there. Mm-hmm. But I really wanted to provide really good advice with biblical wisdom, but I didn't I didn't know anything. I had this interest, but so what I did was after some prayer and and, and reading, uh, my wife agreed that I should purchase both the education requirement for the certified financial planner and certified kingdom advisor designations mm. and go through the education. And I did that because, yeah, I could have gone and I could have gotten trained at, you know, a, a, a big box financial advisory firm, you know, uh, like an Ed Jones or, or an Ameriprise and no respect disrespect to those companies. There's a lot of good folks there, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know anything. And I really wanted to have a foundation to know what was really good advice and what was just 
a message that the firm was teaching their advisors to give so that they could sell annuities and, and different products, right? I really wanted to know what I was talking about yeah. from an independent source rather than just being trained to sell products. Sure. Uh, so I, I did that. Um, and it was one of the hardest things I've done because I went from a ministry education to finance. Uh, but by the time I was done, I, I had gotten an A on my final project. Uh, and then I, I took the granddaddy of all exams in the CF in the, in the financial planning world with the CFP exam. And I passed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know, that's no small feat. Uh, my hat's off to anyone who's ever endured that certified financial planner exam. It, it makes some of our, our Greek exams uh, <laughs> in seminary look like uh, child's play. Uh, wow. you, know, it's you know, it's apples and oranges. They're completely different. But right. and it was at that point that I really felt equipped to get started in the financial advisory world and bring that biblical wisdom that I gained from all my education, but also what I learned in the kingdom advisor designation. Yeah. Well, that's awesome because for everything that seminary does prepare you for, this was not one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, yeah, they can't do it all. They can't cover it all. Um, And financial stewardship is not one of them. Yeah. And what I learned throughout my studies is that the Bible talks about money, wealth, and generosity more than any topic. Now, that doesn't mean it's the most important topic, Mm -hmm. but there are more verses, over 2,300 verses relate to some aspect of money, wealth, and generosity. Mm -hmm. And Christians tend to have two two kind of uh, extreme attitudes towards money. You know, you have the prosperity gospel, God wants me, you know, healthy, wealthy and, and all of that, or God doesn't really care about money. So I should just be poor. Uh, but the, the fullness of, of the Bible's teaching is so much more richer than just the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It does say that there's a lot of warnings, but there's also a lot of things that are said about how to build wealth why we build wealth, what we do with it. Mm -hmm. And it's incumbent upon us if we're going to be biblical stewards Mm -hmm. and leaders Mm -hmm. of ourselves and others that we understand what God's word has to say about money, wealth, and generosity. Yes. And I think, and the reason why I wanted to have this conversation, one of the reasons is because teens that I work with in these families that we serve, they start to get interested in money in middle school. That's when they want to do their own shopping. Therefore, they want to make money. You know, therefore, they're starting to think about how can I make money? Because now they're understanding the role that money plays in in life. And that's when it all begins, right? Right. Yeah. So let's jump into this first question of um, what every biblical steward must answer. And that is... Who owns money? Who owns money, Keith? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the question is, you know, who owns it? And and the, the answer that everyone knows is that God owns everything. Mm. You know, the Psalms talk about God owning a cattle on a thousand hills. Mm-hmm. And if we look at the beginning chapters of Genesis, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, I'm going to nerd out on my theology here, uh, is that God created everything that is. Mm-hmm. 
God created, you know, the, the trees, the sky, uh, and he has created us as his image bearers to be his, his little kings or his vice regents over all of creation. We're to steward his creation. We're to create just like God created, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that is analogous to the way God created. I mean, we can't create something out of nothing, but we can create what God has given to us for the betterment of our neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know, we have cooks, we have carpenters, we have, you know, medical people. We're all using God's resources for the betterment of our own lives and the lives of others. I mean, that's the beauty of, of capitalism. Um, and I love getting in this conversation about does God have an economic system that uh, he He uh, favors? And yes, he does. It's called capitalism. Um, you know, s- stewarding of resources, taking care of it, not wasting it and using it in an honorable way. Mm-hmm. God has given us these resources and it's our requirement um, and duty to God and to one another to use it well. Mm-hmm. And it were to use it for his, uh, the growth of his kingdom. And that could be as simple as, hey, I'm going to provide uh, for my family. I'm going to use it for generosity and for other types of things. But these are, whatever we have comes to us from the Lord. Absolutely. And we're to use it for for the betterment of, of others. Uh, you know, another verse that I think of is Deuteronomy 10, uh, where it says, you know, behold uh, to the Lord, your God belong heaven and the heavens of heavens and the earth and all that is in it. You know, it, it, everything we have is from the Lord. Uh, if you think about uh, the parable of the talents in the Gospels, Jesus tells the story about the the three servants who the master leaves wealth to. Who does the one who's the servant? that is condemned and judged harshly. It's the one who buries the treasure and doesn't grow it. And that doesn't necessarily mean always money. I mean, we have many things that we can steward. We can steward uh, if if you're not me and you have a beautiful singing voice. I do not. Um, If you have the ability to create Uh, you know, beautiful homes or furniture, you have an obligation to use those resources and that talent in a way to honor the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gifts, gifts that we have been given, including money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we all, we've all heard the saying that you don't take your money with you when you die. That's absolutely true. And I guess I'm jumping ahead a little here, but okay. (laughs) Go with it. Yes. Thank you. You know, that, that point that God owns everything. We forget that we stress because we think we somehow have to provide something and create something from scratch. And, um, you know, teens even need to learn that early on. That's principle number one, right? That's why that's the first question. God owns everything. All money is God's money. All money is God's money. And that's a radical idea in today's world where, um, you know, people are, uh, you know, clawing to get that next rung of um, income, right? Or, um, right. And, and, and that's not 
that's not a bad thing because the Bible does teach private property. If if I come into your house, Brenda, and you have a million dollars stored under your your mattress, and I take it, I've committed the the crime of theft. Mm-hmm. You know that is one of the Ten Commandments: Thou shalt not steal. So it's not that what we have is not ours to manage. We should manage it, but it's ultimately not ours. We're a temporary manager. Yes. And I think that is another word for steward, right? A manager. Correct. You mm-hmm. are managing the owner's resources temporarily while he's gone, just like in the parable of the talent. Right. Yeah. You know, we, we a lot of times when we uh, talk about uh, a funeral or or at a funeral, we say the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Mm-hmm. I think part of what it means to be steward is that this is mine now. It might be mine for my entire life or God may remove it at some point mm-hmm. in some way. Yes. And, you know, that that's where we get really nervous because, you know, we we like that sense of security. But you know, Job, think of Job in, in, in the Old Testament. The Lord took a man very wealthy. It took everything he had, including his children. Yeah. Yeah. And the Lord did it with the snap of a finger and it brought God glory. Yes. That's yeah. a hard thing. It's a very hard thing. That is one of the most challenging s- stories in scripture you know, that you really yeah. wrestle with. It really is humbling. Yeah. 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 Okay. The next question that um, every biblical steward must answer is how much is enough? How much is enough? Yeah. Well, the, the one thing I'll say about the first question about who owns it is that, you know, money is a test. Uh, okay. And so we've already discussed that, but with the second question uh, or money is a tool, excuse me, is the first mm-hmm. question. The second question, money is a test. Okay. And when, and when we hear, you know, how much is enough? Mm-hmm. A lot of times we think is a million dollars enough? Is 10 millions? What about a trillion? Is that enough? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, certainly that those are, are, you know, appropriate questions. But what I'm specifically talking about when I ask how much is enough is our lifestyle and contentment. Mm. One of the things that the Bible teaches is that the best way to build wealth is spend less than you earn and do it for a real long time. Mm. You can find that places like in uh, Proverbs chapter six, talking about the ants who store away mm-hmm. um, some of their uh, labor, you know, for, for the winter. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is the concept of spend less than you earn. Many of us live paycheck to paycheck or or we don't know how we where we're spending our money. Mm-hmm. So specifically when I'm asking how much is enough, we're asking things like, you know, are we content with what God has provided us? Mm-hmm. Is it wrong to want to go from making $80,000 a year to $100,000 a year? No, I don't care if you make $10 million a year. If you make $10 million a year, God has blessed you. But don't spend twelve million, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, God is relatively unconcerned about how much we have and how much we make, as long as we're 
blessing others with our product or our service and doing it in a moral, ethical way. Mm-hmm. You know, God isn't honored if I'm selling crack cocaine. Mm-hmm. But God is honored if I am building homes, I am providing some service that is improving the lives of my customers. Mm-hmm. And I should make a profit from that. So these are all biblical concepts. You know, we should live from the fruit of our labors. And but we but capitalism is giving our neighbors what they want and need mm-hmm. in a way that will will help them thrive and, and have a better life. Yeah. You know, we can we can talk all we want about the the uh, unbiblical things that Jeff Bezos and Amazon has done. But what he has done has essentially made it easier for people who may be prohibited from driving a car um, or or getting from one place to another to get the goods and the, the goods that they need. Mm-hmm. Now he's even jumped into the area of delivering pharmaceuticals. That's an incredible service that's badly needed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we could say whatever we like about Jeff Bezos and his lifestyle, but he has loved his neighbor with that service and he should benefit from it because other people are benefiting from it. Um, and so when we talk about how much is enough, again, it's about uh, the issue of contentment. In in Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul talks about how he knows how to have a little, he knows how to have a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in in all circumstances, he has learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so when we ask how much is enough, how much is it that I need to survive? Mm-hmm. You know, if, you know, one of the things I really would love to have is a four-wheel drive pickup. Because I like to go out in the mountains and do all that kind of stuff. I'm in a position right now where I'm driving a Toyota Corolla. Not exactly the off-roading vehicle of the year, is it? <laughs> but I'm content with what the Lord has given me for now. That is my vehicle. And it's not wrong for me to want that that four-wheel drive pickup. Um, and, and I think that sometimes when we think about contentment, we get this idea that it means that I have to settle. I'm going to settle for what I have. And it's wrong for me to want more. Mm. I don't think that's biblical. Because if I'm willing to work and I'm willing to struggle and I'm willing to work for what I want in a a way that honors the Lord and blesses others, it's okay for me to want that four-wheel drive pickup. Mm -hmm. But I can still want that and be content with where the Lord has me right now. Yeah. Yeah. And as long as you don't want that pickup more than you want God, right? If we don't want exactly, we don't want the gifts more than we want the giver. So money as a test really tests the, the, right. the you know, who we're worshiping or what we're right. worshiping, right? Right. And really um, honor God as God and not turn his gifts into idols. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the things that will tell us if we have enough. Okay. Or if we're living, if we have enough. Debt is something that a lot of Christians talk about because of the whole Dave Ramsey stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, debt is one of those things where we're paying for, we're receiving something before we are able to pay for it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is one of the areas where I have a lot of agreement with Dave Ramsey, but I also have some pretty big disagreements. Okay. Debt is a assumption that you will be provided for in the future, but it isn't always necessarily sin. All debt is not sin. If you have a mortgage, and in my field, as long as you can afford that mortgage, that's a good debt. That's an asset that's growing in value. Whereas if you have an exceptional amount of credit card debt, that's, you know, a little bit less, you know, exciting. Uh, But, you know, debt presumes upon the future and you just need to know that you're always using after tax dollars to pay for that debt. Mm-hmm. There's no tax deductions for debt. The one, the one, uh, the one other thing that you could say about that is the exception would be mortgage interest. If you're able to itemize your deductions, you can deduct up to an interest up to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars of debt. But if you're paying credit cards, student loans, uh, car loans, that's all after tax dollars. So that really increases your taxes. And it and it also reduces the amount of money that you can put elsewhere, mm-hmm. whether that's generosity or saving for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, generally when we're talking about mortgages, we like to see people have mortgages where their payments are less than uh, 28% of their gross uh, income. Now that's, you know, mortgage interest, taxes, property taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, if you're going to have, uh, other debts, you know, such as student loans, car loans, whatever, usually want to see that uh, be less than 36%, and that's including your home. Okay. Uh, you know, but you know, as long as you're fitting somewhere within that mold, you may not be sinning. Mm-hmm. I think every situation is different, and I would never yeah. want to say that everyone, if anyone is doing this one thing, they're always in sin. It just you just have to recognize that it's presuming upon future provision. Yeah. And, and, and so different, right? Everybody's in a different scenario. And that's why yeah. you work with families one-on-one. Right. And, and you just have to know that there's a lot of warnings about debt. But to tell someone that because they have a 30-year mortgage or because they have student loans, you're automatically a sinner maybe, but not necessarily. Well, I'm a sinner without having any debt. I'm working with a, a, a doctor. He's one year attending physician. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has almost $500,000 in student loans, which I see all the time because this is one of my expertises. I would not say he's in sin. In this situation, mm-hmm. the guy's making $500,000 a year. He could pay for these loans. Mm-hmm. And we'll be setting up processes to make sure that he could pay them in the future. Yeah. And we'll set up an aggressive, you know, payoff schedule so he'll be able to pay them off sooner. But at the same time, is there risk? Definitely. Yeah. If he becomes a quadriplegic or or is unable to be a doctor anymore and he makes $40,000 a year, he's going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. So there's that risk, but mm-hmm. we can cover those risks in other ways. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 
that's real, you know, the cost of education. <laughs> yes. Because, you know, it's kind of that um, catch 22, right? You got to invest in the education to get the education that you need to get the career to pay back the education right. that required. But it's that career that will put you in a position to serve people the way God has wired you to and called you to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of wisdom is required when it comes to financial stewardship. Yes. Yeah. Well, good. Um, let's move on to the last third and last question about preparing the next steward. I find this question to be most interesting because it, it's dealing with the next generation after you're gone. This is where I get really excited and you might just have to tell me to stop because I will keep going as long as you let me. Okay. You know, so, you know, the first question, who owns it? Money is a tool. Mm -hmm. The second question, uh, how much is enough? Money is a test. Mm -hmm. The third question, is the next steward being prepared? Here, money is a testimony. Mm. Okay. What do you mean by that? Well, it money Proper managing of money from a biblical perspective requires discipleship. Mm -hmm. I can turn on Fox business or MSNBC business and get all this kind of financial advice. I can read as many books, The Millionaire Next Door, um, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Dave Ramsey. I can read all kinds of stuff. Some of it will be better than others. You know, particularly the bad is is almost always whatever is found on TV. Um, the amount of times those, you know, money podcasters are wrong is just astronomically high. But but the point is that there's lots of people telling us what we should do with our money. Uh, I like to tease people that I'm like the the uncle at family gatherings everyone avoids. Because my favorite topics of discussion are religion, money, and politics. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, we all have that, that broke uncle who has an opinion about everything, right? But what does the Bible say about our money? You know, Proverbs 13 says, Blessed is the one who leaves a legacy to their children's children, and the wealth of the wicked will belong to the righteous. Okay, read that one again, Keith. Blessed is the one who leaves a, a legacy to their children's children, to the grandchildren, and the wealth of the wicked will belong to the righteous. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people, when they hear that first part of the verse, they want to just focus on that and not on the second part. And they say, well, I do leave a legacy. My, my children and my grandchildren all know Christ awesome that that that's first and foremost what we want but let's not separate our wealth from that mm -hmm. because the second part of the verse is the wealth of the wicked will belong to the righteous mm -hmm. you know we know proverbs is not prescriptive of what always happens but their general wisdom that is a uh, 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 commentary on the ten commandments mm -hmm. uh and we ought to be training our children to handle money in a way that honors the Lord as well. Amen. And what happens 
almost all the time, and this is where I get really, really passionate. What ends up happening is we know that grandma, grandpa, or mom and dad, they got money. We don't know how much. We don't know what they're what they do with it. We don't even know where it's at. But we know mom and dad got money, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But there's never any level of communication about that money with no expectations. Uh, and then what happens? Grandma, grandpa die. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you have a 20-year-old who has $100,000 or $10 million in their bank account. And they're just like, they've never seen that amount of money in their life. And you might be 20, you might be 60 and inheriting that money. And you're still not sure what to do with it. It's it's a shock. You have this grief, you miss grandma, grandpa. Uh, maybe you don't, but, but you know, it, it's a shock and you don't know what to do. And so what do you do? You go shopping. You buy the car, you go on vacation, you buy the bigger house. And I'm not saying that those things are necessarily bad, but you don't have a foundation to make decisions. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I do with my clients Mm -hmm. uh, is work with them to tell a family story. Mm. And my goal is ultimately uh, to have that wealth unite the family rather than divide it. Because what happens when money starts getting distributed when someone dies? Well, you know, Polly over here, she she took, was paid off, you know, mom and dad paid off all her loans. They bought her house. They did this, they, you know, and that's not fair that she gets the same amount as me. Um, and, you know, so there's division, there's divorces, there's resentments, there's murders, there's, uh, you know, addictions, uh, and there's just all kinds of negative things that result from an inheritance. Mom and dad, grandma, grandpa wanted to leave this wealth to be a blessing, but almost always it's not a blessing. Wow. Wow. And so if we're telling the family story, hey, this is how this wealth was built. You know, grandpa went to law school and he built this huge firm, you know, defending, you know, employee rights or or whatever it was that, that grandma, grandpa did. You know, these were his failures. This was what we made mistakes with. This is what we want you to do with this money. Mm-hmm. And this is how, and, and to also, you know, express that, you know, this is who I am as a Christian and, and this is how we built this wealth. And, and this is what we hope you will do with it. Mm-hmm. Now we can set up all the proper estate planning uh, methods to distributing those assets. And I'm not an attorney, so I'm not offering anyone legal advice here, but we can create all of the trust that you want, but that does not guarantee that Tina and Jill and Joe and Sally are going to do what you wanted them to do with that wealth that you wanted. Uh, it, there's no guarantee that they're going to spend it and, and use it in a way that is going to reflect your values. And the best way you can make sure of that is that you instill and, and, and promote the values that you love with your younger generation. It's called discipleship. Yes. Yes. And it begins when grandma and grandpa are healthy and well and able to teach and able to visit and able to 
you know, converse clear with a clear. And, and this is not a one-time discussion. This I, should happen over and over again, over the course of many years. Hmm. And what they should be doing is, yeah, grandma, grandpa, they, they own the accounts. They, they uh, have decision-making powers. And, but what ought to happen is I would hope that these Christian families who have wealth um, have some form of, of generosity that they are displaying and their family should know about it. And they should, quite frankly, they should get junior and, and, and the grandkids involved with this. Get, mm -hmm. Let them get involved with the charities. Let them get involved in the foundations, making decisions, getting involved in with promoting the missions of, of their favorite charities. Mm -hmm. Let them have some ownership of these decision-making powers to make sure that this money is used in a way that would honor their family values. Wow. The alternative That's is that the people get a check and they spend it and lose it uh, within a few years. 90% wow. of wealth that goes from one generation to the next is lost within a few years. Wow. It's spent away, divorced away, sued away, addicted away. Mm -hmm. I mean, the amount of addictions and divorces that come out of an inheritance mm -hmm. is mind numbing. Mm -hmm. and, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's such a shame. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge vision, Keith. I've never heard anybody advocate for that kind of generational conversation about the great sin of my industry is that we're really good at building the wealth and leaving the wealth and then we're done. Mm. We hope that the grandkids will invest that money back with us, but we haven't created those relationships to do it. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and turn we're, we're destroying the souls or promote, we're not, we aren't, completely doing it on our own, but we're contributing to the destruction of souls mm -hmm. because of the money that our family is, are leaving. Mm. And, you know, while we can never guarantee, you know, a success across the board, mm -hmm. the hope is that when grandma, grandpa, and mom and dad display those values and that open communication, mm. that I will already have a relationship with those younger family members but they will also remember what wonderful godly people those who went them before them were, and they will have a better idea on how to honor the Lord with their wealth. That's Proverbs 3, 9, honor mm -hmm. the Lord with your wealth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we should be as Christians hoping that our children and our grandchildren follow Christ. That's a, that, that's like the most basic of concepts. Yeah. How do we grow the kingdom of God through our children and our grandchildren? Sure. Our neighbor and our friends and, and our coworkers. Absolutely. 100%. But the best way to grow the kingdom of God is by having babies and disciple them in Christ. Amen. And if we're not disciple them in money, then our money is going to be lost to the state or lost to all these creditors, to the unrighteous, and they're going to use it to promote their own agendas. Mm -hmm. Why not keep it in the family? And why not, to the best of our ability, promote Christ in our families? Yes. Yes, thank you. That's exactly why I wanted to have this conversation today, Keith, because I do feel like um, 
that conversation of use of money, ownership of money, you know, stewardship of money is more prone to get lost in all the other conversations that we have with our children. Yeah. Um, you know, I was sharing with you a couple of weeks ago that um, my husband and I showed our kids the Excel spreadsheet <laughs> of right. our all the finances, how much it costs to live in our house every day, you know, what our utility bill is, what our cell phone bill, what their cell phone bills are, what <laughs> it costs to keep the lights on and the water running, you know, and it's, we probably did it, you know, too late. I mean, we, we could have done it a couple of years ago, but you know, we were, we, we had to really, we had to schedule it for a specific weekend and if you don't schedule it like a dentist appointment, it doesn't happen. What doesn't get yeah. scheduled doesn't happen. <laughs> right. So, you know, for families who are listening to this and, and they're resonating with what you're saying and they believe in um, having this important conversation, I would encourage them to schedule it and to start and maybe they could contact you, right, with some starter um, questions, some starter prompts. Um, but begin by just communicating with the younger generation these three questions. Who owns money? How much is enough? And how do we want to prepare you as the next steward of the financial, the family finances? Right. Start there. Right. Yeah, I mean, a lot of your families are probably at the stage in life where they're wondering, how am I going to pay for my kid's college? Yes, let's finish and, on that, Keith. How can they afford college? Yeah, I mean, there are many ways to pay for college. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes you have to get creative. You know, you can, you know, shop for all the scholarships and the grant money out there, and that's great. Um, there are people who will help you do that. That's not what I do. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes you have to work ahead of time to position your resources to allow yourself to get extra uh, assistance from the schools mm -hmm. that are out there. Mm -hmm. Your child may be wanting to apply to four schools, maybe more. Um, and there are ways out there where we can project, you know, how much assistance you're going to get from schools, meaning free money, if you do X, Y, Z type of things, particularly if you have, you know, a lot of assets, you know, where should you position them so that your college cost is a bit lower? And something that a lot of people are really um, surprised to hear is that if you do your planning the right way, it might actually be cheaper for you to go to uh, a, an expensive school, a private school than it is a state school, but you have to position things correctly at the right time, you have to fill out the free application for federal student aid the correct way. Most people don't. Yeah. Um, and I have folks that I'm connected with that can help you with that. And I could help you as well uh, with some of those steps. Um, if there are family members out there uh, in your network who want to meet with me for a free 60 to 90 minute appointment, I do something that's called a financial roadmap where we will do an exercise to help you understand how your values relate to you making financial decisions. Mm, 
your core this, values. That session is not about selling a product. It's not even about giving you advice. It's simply an exercise for you to understand how your values relate to the decisions you make. And then we put all of your financial documents on one paper, on one yeah. page. Uh -huh. And so that everything is there together. And, and what I guarantee to every uh, person that comes to that is you will know one way or the other, whether or not you want to work with me. Um, and I will know what one way or the other, if you're a, a good client for me as well. Right. It has um, to be a good fit. But, but even if you yeah. don't become a client, you're going to come out of that appointment with a lot of value and understanding your situation a lot better mm -hmm. and how um, you could benefit and, and your family uh, for the long term. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much for um, offering that to anybody who's made it this far in this um, conversation. My pleasure. This has been uh, fun. Yeah. My my gut says if you watched this far, then uh, you are, you know, probably primed to have this conversation with your teens, with your, you know, maybe maybe your grandparent watching this and you uh, have adult children that you need to play catch up with in terms of, um, right. you know, what you've left them and, uh, and maybe, you know, you're a parent with teens who are getting interested in money and want to do more chores and want to find the part-time job. And they're just ready to have a money conversation that is built on biblical principles with kingdom minded um, values. Um, and that's, that's where we're aligned. So thank you, Keith, for, for thank you. You know, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness with me. Um, and together we will enjoy watching how God brings the rest of this, everything, yes. we need, you know, it will be given to us. It will be, yeah. it will be given to us and, and we walk by faith. Um, but yeah. this is the work that we need to do to, um, to receive what God has for us so that we might steward it well for for his world and his body so thank, thank you, you. yeah thank you yeah ultimately at the end of the day the lord is going to use um any anything we have and and do for his own glory and yeah. uh you know whether that's the mistakes we've made or or the things that we do correctly you know it's all by his grace that he brings mm -hmm everything to his glory. And we're just a part of his story. That's right. Uh, That's right. We align our mission with his. Yes. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Keith. I'm sure this is not thank the you. last time we'll talk. All right. Take care. Take care, Keith. Thanks. Once. Thank you again. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Faith and Money podcast. But remember, our conversations don't end here. We invite you to continue exploring these fascinating subjects by subscribing to our podcast. By subscribing, you'll never miss an episode, ensuring that you stay connected to our community of like-minded individuals seeking wisdom and guidance in their financial and spiritual lives. And while you're at it, don't forget to rate and review the Faith and Money podcast. Your feedback not only helps us improve, but it also allows others to discover and benefit from these enriching discussions. Your words have the power to inspire and empower others to embark on their own journeys toward financial well-being and spiritual fulfillment. Lastly, we want to extend a heartfelt invitation to join us for future episodes. We have exciting guests lined up 
who will share their unique perspectives and experiences. Together, we'll continue to dive deeper, challenge conventions, and uncover hidden truths that can transform our lives for the better.